Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, with the help of the new Q3 outlook from the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO, we're looking at the post-COVID economic recovery, considering how fast it's happening and asking what it means for markets. Our panel from the UBS CIO will be exploring ideas for growth, income and protection and addressing key questions at the top of investors' minds at the midpoint of 2021 against a backdrop of a first half that delivered faster than expected vaccine rollouts, bigger than expected US fiscal stimulus, higher than expected inflation and strong economic and corporate earnings growth. Let's start with Kieran Ganesh, strategist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO. Kieran, first up, what do we anticipate the, the, the pace of the post-COVID economic recovery to be like? Um, well, we think that the economy is undergoing a pretty rapid recovery in, in 2021 um, after the sort of lockdown-induced uh, shocks in 2020. You know, of course, that recovery is pretty uneven and uh, the virus is you know, continuing to spread in, in different locations around the world. And that, that's leading to uncertainty for consumers and, and uh, new uh, lockdowns or mini lockdowns being imposed in different places. Um, but the overall picture is one of, of pretty rapid recovery in the global economy in 2021, you know, even if there are some uh, regional divergences. Well, let me ask you about what's concerning or preoccupying investors then, Kieran. Presumably, ideas for growth in this environment must be pretty close or at the top of their lists when when you speak to clients. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think markets have performed very well, you know, particularly in the context of the uh, uncertainty that we see all around us uh, related to the virus and the high levels of debt that governments have, have accrued um, in order to pay for the various uh, schemes to manage the pandemic. So trying to find further upside from here is certainly you know, one challenge that, that investors are facing. Um, and where we're pointing people toward is you know, some of the sectors and regions that either were most badly affected by the pandemic and have most scope for recovery. So we're looking at things like energy, materials, financials, um, which we think are well positioned to uh, recover in 2021 or continue to recover, but also to look to some of the regions which are, you know, to some extent, still grappling with an earlier stage um, of the pandemic. So places like Japan, where the vaccine rollout has been you know, somewhat slower than what we've seen uh, in Europe and the US, but where that's getting reflected in market pricing. And we think that that has more scope for recovery as uh, the vaccines do start to get rolled out. So I think investors are going to have to be a bit more selective and, and find different uh, parts of the market and to find further upside because you know, the broad market has done done particularly well, particularly in light of the uncertainty we've seen. Yeah, I mean, if that's the upside picture, then conversely, what about protecting against downside risks? I just wonder, how's that picture changed, you know, even just through the first six months of 2021? It's certainly something we're starting to get more questions about from investors who understandably are thinking about whether this is a good time to be locking in some of the gains that they've made either year to date or over the course of the past year. 
we think it's important not to try to time the market and, and say, okay, this is the time to get out because the, the problem is getting back in again is is notoriously difficult and the market, especially with interest rates so low, can continue to grind higher. And so what we're instead encouraging people to do is to think about how they can diversify portfolios more effectively while retaining some exposure to the market. So that could be done through option strategies. It could be done through things like hedge funds or private markets, which have maybe a little less volatility than what you see in public markets, um, or by switching sectors towards parts of the market which are maybe a bit more defensive. So looking at things like healthcare, perhaps, as a way of staying invested in the market and continuing to participate in upside, but perhaps taking a few chips off the table and, and being able to sleep more comfortably at night. Well, let's talk a little bit about income next, Kieran. What are some bright ideas for boosting portfolio income? Because that's, again, a, a question probably being asked with, with greater urgency uh, now perhaps than before. Yes, I think since the pandemic, obviously interest rates were cut very quickly. And I think what surprised people is how low they look set to stay. And if you look at where long-term bond yields are today, you know, still below 1.5% uh, for a 10-year bond in US dollar terms, for example. I think that's been a big surprise um, this year that uh, bond yields have failed to to increase. Um, so we're talking about trying to find yield in three main areas. One is in fixed income, which is the most obvious space. So looking to um, high yield in credit and senior loans. Um, we think a lot of companies, you know, should continue to benefit from a from a relatively strong economy and from the various pandemic support measures that have been put in place. So we think default rates should stay quite low, um, which should be a good environment for high yield credit and senior loans. Um, the other places within equity portfolios to look again at things like dividend stocks, so companies that are paying high dividend yields that can grow through the cycle, and particularly if they can beat inflation. We think that's an interesting area to look at. We're also talking to people about thinking about alternative ways of generating yield, whether that's in areas like private credit or using strategies which help maybe use options to sell volatility and generate yield that way. There's another way to, to get some income in portfolios because at a time of very low interest rates and you know, relatively high levels of inflation at the moment. And this is a time that investors do need to think about how they can get more income from their portfolios. Well, yeah, and you mentioned inflation there, and that's certainly key at the moment as a consideration. Is still higher inflation ahead? Is that the view? And if so, how, how do investors best prepare to face that? Yeah, so I think it's it's important to I guess separate the short term picture and the and the longer term picture. In the short term, inflation is quite high, and you'll see that in, in various news headlines and probably observe it in restaurants and shops um, yourself. We think that that's largely related to the pandemic and some of the supply demand mismatches which are, are taking place at the moment. And that will come down to more normal levels, we think, as the uh, sort of pandemic passes and as some of those supply demand uh, imbalances adjust. Um, but longer term, that's where investors often fail to uh, account for inflation effectively in their portfolios. Remember that even if inflation is just two or three percent over the course of the decade, that can mean that prices, you know, can be twenty, thirty, or even forty percent higher when we account for some uh, some compounding. And that's what investors really need to be thinking about: is that longer term inflation and how they can make sure their portfolio is growing to make sure they don't lose purchasing power over that time. So we've got a sort of variety of solutions that we're thinking about for, for investors who are concerned about this topic. You know, one is to look for stocks which have 
or companies which have pricing power, those companies that are going to be able to raise prices in times of inflation, maybe with more differentiated products, we think are in a bit of a sweet spot at the moment. And we've talked about looking at uh, companies which have a combination of growth and value. So companies which are relatively cheap, but also can deliver um, some growth over the course of a cycle. Things like commodities are also a good hedge against inflation, often the source of inflation. But things like the energy sector, we think is something which can play a role in portfolios as a way of making sure that uh, they, they grow uh, in line with prices. Uh, now, Kieran, the fifth kind of key question, actually, that the Q3 outlook piece poses regards structural opportunities. And I did want to ask briefly about that. Is it the case that some of the key kind of ongoing secular trends that we have followed and discussed in quite a lot of detail, whether that's sustainability themes or EVs, green transport, leaders in the digital realm, for example, do they remain the best bet here when looking at what the most attractive structural opportunities look like? I think a lot of the structural trends have been really accelerated you know, by the pandemic. I think that's been you know, discussed at, at some length over the course of the past, past year. And I think we're all familiar with you know, some of those, those changes that have, that have happened. I think where investors need to be conscious is you know, what has already got reflected in market pricing and where are still the opportunities to buy in to some of the longer term trends. In our view, we think that for some of the mega cap uh, tech stocks, uh, the upside looks a bit more limited at this point. Um, you know, they've already started to tread water somewhat, and we, we think the upside is is more limited at this point. So we're looking to more of the smaller and, and mid-cap um, technology companies, which can deliver higher levels of growth over the course of the next decade uh, in some of the areas that you mentioned, uh, like electric vehicles, uh, like 5G, like sustainability, green tech. To, to generate that growth over the longer term. The other thing is to think about the regional exposure as well. Um, when we think about growth and technology, it's understandable that Asia and the United States often come to mind. But there are digital leaders in Europe which often get neglected in that picture. And that's something which we think you know, could be set to outperform as we look forward, given that they seem to be relatively unloved by investors. Kieran Ganesh. Next up, let's dig a little deeper into the theme with Matt Gilman, Eurozone Equity Strategist at UBS Global Wealth Management. Matt Gilman, thanks for joining us on the programme. Matt, before we get into some more detail here, give us an overview first up on the nature as you see it of the pace of the post-COVID recovery. So essentially, I think we've got a couple of years of pretty strong economic growth ahead of us. This is more likely to be led by the services part of the economy. So over the last 18 months, the goods part of the economy has actually done relatively well. We've had goods consumption running above pre-COVID levels uh, for some time now. But as these economies reopen, it's going to allow other parts of the economy to start to, to start to catch up. So things like restaurants, uh, going out to cinemas, you know, travel, all of these types of things. So that's probably going to drive the recovery, we think, from here. Uh, the other element that's probably going to drive a, a decent portion of this recovery will be a rebound in industrial production. Uh, and the reason for this is, is, is given all these supply chain concerns, and difficulties that businesses have been having, we've seen quite a significant destocking of their inventory. So as these inventories are restocked, that should drive a relatively quick rebound in industrial production as well. So from here, it's, it's more about the services uh, side of the economy and industrial production picking up. And in our view, that will drive uh, pretty solid earnings growth. So we've got 38% earnings growth being forecast globally. 
Uh, and in Europe, which I look at, uh, we think in the Eurozone, you can perhaps generate close to 50% earnings growth. Right. Well, let's look a little bit more at the investor picture, Matt, next up. And tell us about investors who, and presumably this is a conversation that you know you have with clients all the time, which is that people want to talk about ideas for, for growth. This must be at least pretty at the top of the list or close to the top of the list. I mean, to what extent are people asking you about where to find short-term portfolio growth and uh, what do you tell them when they do? Absolutely. Investors are always looking for these growth opportunities. The challenge with growth is that you've always got to be a little bit careful about what's already priced into expectations. And so if we look at stock leadership over the last 18 months, uh, so during the pandemic, it has been relatively narrow. There's been a number of of tech companies, uh, internet consumer companies that have done incredibly well throughout that period. And that means that today you're left with valuation dispersion within the market that's quite high. So that's the gap between uh, the stocks at the highest end of the PE multiples and those versus those at the lowest end. And so that gap between valuation multiples is the most extreme it's been since 2000. And so this is one of the challenges for investors today is where do you find growth at a reasonable price? So, so one theme we've actually launched in the last month is trying to identify quality growing companies in Europe that are trading at a reasonable price. And that we think can help help investors diversify some of their risk. But also there are shorter term opportunities out there we think to benefit from growth uh, so in particular, we'd be focusing on those markets that underperformed in the first half of the year. So markets like China and Japan. Uh, here, they've got relatively attractive valuations. And there's certainly parts of Asia which do have the potential to, to catch up as they reopen. The reopening so far has, has largely come from, say, the US and Europe. But sort of going forward, it's, it's areas like Japan where you've got more of a catch up potential there. So, so that's a market we do like in the second half of the year. And then at a sector level, I'd say sort of the best growth opportunities from here are probably energy, materials, and financials. Uh, energy is probably one of the better ways of playing the reopening of economies. So as travel activity starts to recover, uh, that should drive higher demand for oil. And we also think this sector has lagged the oil price move so far. So we think the sector's only pricing in oil at around $55 to $60. And we're forecasting oil to go to $80 in September. Uh, materials, this is a sector which should benefit from that industrial production rebound. Also, higher commodity prices supported and all the government infrastructure plans that are coming through, that's also going to be supported for the sector. And then the financials is also a sector that we really like. Again, valuation is very attractive and it should be one of these sectors that benefits a lot from the recovery because that should drive higher bond yields and steeper yield curves, uh, which in turn boost the profitability for the financial sector. Well, yeah, that's interesting, Matt. And I was going to ask you actually next about if there are concerns about portfolio income for those investors who rely on their portfolios more on that side of things. Again, is that a question of looking a little bit like the picture you've just described about looking for sectors with upside? Or is that more at looking at, I don't know, you know, specific sort of dividend stocks, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a bit of a blend, actually. So, I mean, some of the sectors I just mentioned, so things like financials and energy, they both have very attractive dividend yields. Uh, So in Europe, you've got yields above 5% in these sectors. And we're talking about a backdrop of, of accelerating earnings growth, uh, which can also support pretty strong dividend growth for those sectors as well. So, so one area would certainly be to focus on some of those sectors I talked about, these sort of value cyclical sectors. But I mean, certainly, you know, the, the, the backdrop has changed quite a lot from the last, the last year. I mean, 2020 was all about these growth stocks doing incredibly well. And these are companies which typically don't pay high dividends. But we've certainly seen leadership this year change quite materially. And it is these sort of value companies, which is where you're going to find the higher yields today. And, and they've also started to perform much better this year. Uh, so we would also focus on single stocks. Uh, so those which have relatively high dividend yields. Uh, now, our definition of that is, is stocks with a yield above three and a half percent. 
uh, but also those which have potentially inflation-busting growth in those dividends. Uh, so we're looking for those companies which can grow their dividends above 3%. So yes, you can find many of these within the financials and energy sector, but also outside of those sectors, we also think there's some opportunities there as well. Let's turn to inflation next, Matt. Is higher inflation ahead in your view? And if so, how best to prepare for it? Our, our view at UBS is, is that inflation is transitory. And so ultimately, these high inflation numbers we're seeing today uh, will settle back at lower levels. Uh, but nevertheless, right now, we are seeing inflation coming in uh, ahead of expectations. And of course, we do know that the central banks are willing to allow inflation to overshoot in the near term as well. Uh, so we do, I think, need to just bear in mind that you know higher inflation may be here to stay and we may just want to start preparing for that. And, and there's a few different ways I think you can do this within the, within the equity market. Uh, one would be to focus on stocks with uh, high pricing power. So these are companies which typically have a very dominant market position. Uh, they might produce very high quality products that can't easily be substituted. And these are also companies which should do relatively well as demand recovers. So there's a lot of demand out there for their products. And that enables them to have pretty high pricing power. And so they should fare better than companies which don't have pricing power because those companies will struggle to pass on those higher input costs. Another area we'd focus on, I mentioned already, is these quality growth companies uh, that are trading at a reasonable price. And here it's the, the higher quality angle that, that we like because, again, that, these are typically companies which have higher pricing power. But also the reasonable price element just helps you protect uh, against some of the derating risk that might be out there for some of these expensive stocks as they can be quite vulnerable to rising inflation and yields. So, so we do think quality growers at a reasonable price also look relatively attractive. Uh, thirdly, I'd highlight infrastructure investments. Now, these can be a pretty good hedge against inflation because typically their revenue streams are tied to the consumer price index. So, for example, you've got a number of regulated utilities in Europe that often use inflation-linked pricing. Now, for investors, it can be a little bit tricky if you are looking for specific infrastructure assets because, of course, you, know, you, you can't just buy these yourself. But private market funds can give investors this opportunity. And then finally, I think one other area we'd be looking at would be commodities. Again, this is a very good way to protect against inflation. Commodity prices are typically very highly correlated to inflation. So as inflation is rising, you would expect commodity prices to also be moving higher as well. So that's why these commodity sectors can give you good, uh, good inflation protection. And we do think you've got uh, quite attractive returns to come from some of these commodity indexes over the next six months, uh, perhaps in the region of 10%. There's lots of different risks that are out there today. And I think the ones which are probably most in focus from our, from our investors that we're speaking to are probably the, the potential impact of new COVID variants and whether that results in, in further lockdowns and we see economic growth start disappointing again. Inflation, which we've talked about a lot, is clearly uh, another thing that's clearly on uh, investors' minds. And also geopolitics, so for example, tensions between US and China, if those were to escalate again, would also potentially be a bit of a concern. Now, look, to, to be clear, we don't think that these risks today are any higher than they have been historically. But we do think it makes sense for investors to try and uh, try and manage their portfolio a little bit to ensure they're not taking excessive risk. And we think this is something investors should do regularly anyway, just to try and make sure their portfolios aren't too concentrated in any one direction. So I think, look, given the relatively narrow leadership of markets during the pandemic, it's probably at this point worth locking in some of the gains in some of those stocks that might have done incredibly well and where the upside from here is, is much more limited. We'd also recommend starting to diversify into areas that have been left behind uh, and are typically a bit more defensive in nature. These can also be a good source of adding protection to your portfolio. And then as an alternative to stocks, you may also want to consider hedge funds or, or option strategies which can also just offer a little bit of protection uh, in case the markets were to, to sell off at any point in the near future. Matt Gilman. 
And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. As ever, you can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.